everybody, we're back. I don't know what episode this is. I think it's 94. Yeah, I think that's right. I just remember right now. Even close, though I said I'm just creeping a little closer to that triple digits. That's all I know. We're getting close to that 100th episode, and I think at that 100th episode, we definitely have to do it at a public place. I think it'd be cool. Yeah. And uh, we have a place in mind. I know I brought it up before. Uh, the Conquesos is opening up in downtown Springdale in the next few weeks. And I think it'd be cool to do an episode there, a live episode. But I don't know uh, if they take longer than, than what's expected for them to actually be completed. Then we'll just figure something out. Maybe we'll do it at Black Apple or something. I know construction everywhere is terrible right now. Everything keeps getting delayed like months and months. So I don't, I, I, I'm not too optimistic about that. But, yeah. you know, if any, any of the listeners think uh, they can think of a cool place that we should do it at. Hey. We should. Hit us up. Hit us up on Facebook, District 3 Podcast. I mean, more people are vaccinated by now, right? I think it's more safer for folks to just kind of do something, even if it's out, like, in a free air location. But I think it'd be cool for us to do that. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, this is Urban and Manny. We forgot to introduce ourselves. Yeah. But it's been a long time since we've been together. This is This is Manny. Or Manuel Tejada. Uh, it's been a long time since we've been together, Manny. Usually either I do an episode or you do an episode by yourself. But, yeah. hey, this time we're both here. Yeah. We could finally sit down and, and finally just have a conversation. How you, you been, though? Good. I mean, like, we barely talk now. I feel like we only I talk know, whenever we you. see each other. Yeah, because even when we text, we're like, it's like... Uh, Five messages and then like That's a couple true. days or That's something. That's true. We need to we need to we need to make that. We used to hang out. You remember when we started the podcast? <laughs> we would go out after the podcast to get a drink or like food and stuff. Yeah. Manny wouldn't really eat. He would just drink. But like I would eat <laughs> and drink. But nowadays we don't even do that anymore. Really What's wrong? That story. I don't know. Or even we went through a pandemic. I don't know. Maybe the, I I still do kind of have like go out anxiety. Mm. Um. But I still go out. I definitely still go out. But it's like always with like very small groups. Yeah. So, I mean, me too. Uh, I was talking to our guest about this before we got on the air. Uh, I'm still wearing my masks in places where there's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, But I don't wear it if it's like out in the open, if I'm going for like a walk or a run or or a bicycle. What do they call that? A bicycle, uh, not a run, but a bicycle ride. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't wear my mask. and uh, But e- there's been some people that when I wear my mask in, in places that are indoors, they still look at me kind of weird. Yeah. Did I, you, do you get any of that? I mean, I definitely do. I will wear my mask if I see, like, the employees at a place wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just out of respect, I don't know what their situation is. I don't know if them seeing me without a mask will give them anxiety or make their job harder than it should be like that's not what i as a customer want to be if i'm at a place i feel you so like you know i'll, I'll definitely wear it out of courtesy i do it in drive throughs i just kind of feel Still like do that yeah. yeah just because there are people that that i don't know if they're vaccinated or not and even though i know it's their personal decision right if they don't if they choose not to get vaccinated or not but for my for my like uh, mental health like I want to make sure that I'm not the person that gives them COVID for some reason even yeah, though I'm fully vaccinated right. and we can still carry it right so we yeah, have to be super and, careful and there's, there's a lot of places that still haven't opened inside drive through places there's drive through places that you know no lobby no indoor eating it's just straight drive through and when you go through that I mean I've been I've been going to Burger King lately getting their like spicy chicken sandwich uh, their lobby is completely closed young guys that work inside um always wearing a mask so which one do you go to spring the one on <laughs> random random question right but yeah i like the spring ones because like most of the staff is latinx i'm not sure if you yes, noticed that always like burger king sure. and wendy's they're both like super latinx ran right and i think it's super cool high but, schoolers too yeah definitely definitely we're gonna take a little quick break and we'll be right back with our guest uh this song that i'm gonna be playing is actually from Majo Aguilar. The song is called No Voy a Llorar and we'll be right back after this quick break. Yo no presentí que en poco tiempo tú quisieras terminar Dios lo quiso así, entonces no hay problema, no voy a llorar. ¿Qué será de mí? ¿O acaso soy el prisionero de un error? ¿Qué vivió de ti? 
que tú solo le rompiste el corazón Y no voy a llorar cuando te vea partir Trataré de borrar esa desilusión Que dejarás en mí, te juro por Dios Que no voy a llorar Si te quieres marchar, yo no voy a impedir Tus sueños de volar, un mundo más feliz Con nubes de cristal Que el amor era así Yo no sé por qué no quise escuchar Hoy te alejas y me toca vivir Experiencia más amarga quizás Me habían dicho que el amor era así Y hoy me encuentro que es la triste verdad Que el querer está amarrado al sufrir Y el sufrir envuelto en la soledad And we're back. Uh, that was No Voy a Llorar by Majo Aguilar, who is actually the granddaughter of Antonio Aguilar. Not to be confused with the other famous granddaughter, Angel Aguilar. Um, but yeah, they have good music, so check out Majo. I got that from, from YouTube. And uh, we're going to actually talk a little bit with our guest who's here. I've known this guest for um, quite a few years now, actually. Um, his name is Juan Mendez. How are you, Juan? Doing well, everyone. Glad to have finally be here. I know, I've been asking you for, like, has it been months now, man? <laughs> and you had a wedding last week? Like, man, it's been, it's been difficult. But um, I don't know what, what title to, to give you, Juan. I just kind of feel like, I mean, you're a community organizer. You're a community member. Um, and I really just want to talk about, you know, the history that you have here organizing in Northwest Arkansas and a little bit about the background story between us, you know, kind of how we met and stuff. Um, but your family is originally from Chihuahua, right? Yeah, from Chihuahua, Mexico, moved to Springdale in uh, September 17th of 97, is, I believe, the date. So you were here when uh, the first, like, Latinos were coming to Springdale, right? Right, whenever we were first making our, our presence known in, in NWA, uh, being some of the first uh, Latinx kids at, at the elementary schools. Was there, was there a lot of discrimination back then? You know, I, I wouldn't say it was like intentional discrimination i think it was just they didn't know how to handle they weren't prepared like ignorance kind of right right mm -hmm. mo like most of of the things that have happened in our city i think things have happened before people were prepared for it and it was like we're here but they weren't ready for it but i think eventually they made uh systemic changes to where we were more embraced into what was the normal school day and what we needed to get done and Um, I think eventually they, they came around a little bit and, and things, if you ask me to compare a kid's school day today to when I started, it's completely different probably. Mm. Uh, 
And you, one of the one of the names that we call you is the grandfather of the Arkansas Dream Act because you were like one of the first, if not the first, uh, undocumented uh, person here in Arkansas who was actually organizing uh, the undocumented community or just the immigrant community in general. And you're in your thirties. How do you, how do you feel about being called a, a grandfather of anything? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 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 a it's an it's an endearing title. You know, mm. I, I definitely. Uh, I have much love for the rest of the work that others have done. Uh, previous to me, I know that students at the U of A were, were organizing people like Ana and, and mm-hmm. Rafael, uh, Fernando. They were they were doing work at the U of A to uh, bring this issue to the forefront. But um, I, I I feel that for for a long time they were, um, you know, guided a lot by what the adult chapters and the adult community leaders, uh, quote unquote, would say. In, in the area and so yeah. whenever I, I kind of came into the picture and started facing a lot of obstacles myself I felt that you know we needed a we needed a, an organization that would focus on what the youth needed and at the time that was the Dream Act and so I, I, I wanted to make sure that there was somebody or a group mm-hmm. advocating specifically for uh, the students in the area and in the state because I didn't feel that um, anybody was trying to look out for the needs of just the youth mm-hmm. and, and we weren't being listened to so you have so from now i guess the timeline going backwards okay right now the active group is equipo de defensa al inmigrante mm-hmm. right that's the the immigrant-led group here right now active in arkansas and then it goes back to uh what was the other one i forgot that there's been a lot of names we've had arkansas collision for dream uh, we've had, there was another one, but I forgot the name, but it goes back to Arkansas Natural Dreamers, which is the group that, that you were a part of, that you helped start. It's, I guess it's pretty easy to figure out why you named the Arkansas Natural Dreamers. Was it you that got the, that, that picked the name? And also, I guess it makes sense. I mean, we're the natural state, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So we actually, so back in, I think you, I believe it was 2009, uh, Cesar Rostro and I went up to Minneapolis for a meeting with, uh, we just leaders. got married recently, so congrats, yeah, yeah, congrats to Caesar and Annalisa. Um, we we actually drove up to Minneapolis to meet with uh, immigrant youth leadership from all over the country. Uh, people, we had people there from Massachusetts, from New York, uh, Michigan. Uh, I believe we had people there from Texas, uh, Kansas, Missouri, and we uh, and other states. I, I, I failed to remember all of them, but. Uh, we met there, and that's where we kind of decided, look, well, this is how long we're going to give it for uh, comprehensive immigration reform. If we can't get anything done by then, then we got to push ahead for the DREAM Act because we yeah. can't afford to, to wait any longer uh, on the sidelines. And so uh, it was it was a bold move. And on the drive back, Caesar and I were talking about, you know, what we had experienced. It was something that was very powerful to see that uh, nobody there had ever met in person. And then... It was like we all came together and we were there in person. We were making things happen. We were setting out an action plan. We were setting timelines, and it was um, something that was that was truly powerful. And, and mm. from there, driving back, Caesar and I were talking, and I was like, you know, we got to figure out a name for for what we're going to call ourselves. And I was I kept thinking, and you know, everybody had dreamers in their name, and I started thinking. I was like, well, we're from Arkansas, and Arkansas is a natural state, so maybe we could be like Arkansas natural dreamers mm-hmm. because it's only natural to dream. Right. Mm. Yeah. I remember you saying that. Yeah, and so from and so from there it was just it just stuck, and and we we pushed ahead with it, and, and we did we did a lot of things. You know, you talk about the other groups that are that are now you know active and and, and working and and doing great community work. It's 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 awesome. I mean, it's yeah. whenever I remember whenever we were first starting, it was hard for anybody to you know support us to oh, yeah, pay yeah. mind to us. It's like we were kind of seen as like like. Uh problem like we were like we were like being too rebellious we, we, we were stirring right? the pot i mean i remember talking to people about coming out as undocumented people were like oh no no don't do that because it's you know you're going to bring heat on yourself like mm-hmm. you're going to bring attention that you don't need but you know it was uh, after after going through that event in minneapolis and, and then going through other conventions it was like man these people are fearless yeah you know in, in, in the face of being undocumented why shouldn't i be like it's in, mm-hmm. and, and you know, whenever I first came out on the news, like I, I told my parents, like right before I came out on the news, but I had already done it. <laughs> and, um, and it was, it was something that was liberating after yeah. I had done it, you know, because I, I feel like for many years, people kind of hold that over your head if they mm-hmm. know it. And so being able to just say it and, and make yourself be visible, I think was, uh, was an empowering moment, but also liberating 
to no longer be oppressed by it. I feel you on that. And I remember going back, you know, just, just to kind of how I kind of got to meet you. I, I was part of Bulldog News in Sabrina High School, and I was trying to put in, in the broadcast a lot of, like, immigrant stories just to kind of right. uh, highlight that and just show people uh, what people are struggling with here locally and because I know there was a lot of undocumented people in Sabrina High School, right? So I would slip in those stories and then one day your sister came up to me and so I didn't know her. Mm -hmm. I know that she was the cousin of, of our neighbor, right? And, and she came up to me and she said, hey, she said, we have this group, we meet at, at my house. Uh, my brother is one of the people that, that helps organize it. If you want to come to one of the meetings and you should, I think it'd be, it'd be great, right? And I went to one of those meetings that I remember it was outside your house. Y'all had like these little tables outside your house. Me, you, Fernando. I remember, I think Rocio was there too. Mm -hmm. uh, Cesar. Octavio. And yeah, and Octavio was there too. And it was kind of like, it was a cool group because I could tell that y'all y'all like to party kind of. Y'all were like party people. <laughs> Either one of y'all had a beer or something. Like it was just so random. Uh, but we were really tr talking about issues and they were and they were being talked about by young people mm -hmm. right like you said a lot of the time it's like the older folks that you know because they have the experience they think that they're the ones that we need to listen to completely and just kind of go off of what they say right but a lot of the times they can be also very tone deaf when you just listen to people just because one person has a lot of experience doesn't mean that they have the they make the best choices right for our community so i was hooked i remember always going and i think i never really missed the meeting and ever since then like i was i've been a part of all these different groups throughout the years and continue to be now with equipo defensa del inmigrante so i just kind of stayed fernando kind of you know maybe he missed some groups but he always came back and he's back in the mix as well um back then it was so crazy man because now with like i was telling you off the air with Equipo Defensa del Inmigrante, we're so organized. We know the resources. We know what to do. Uh, not 100% of the time, but we're very secure and we under, and we feel confident about the work that we're doing. Back when we started, back in 2000, well, when I started with Arkansas Natural Dreamers in 2010, 2009, we weren't that structured because we were still trying to learn. Like, there was no blueprint, right? You know, Equipo was able to have that blueprint throughout the years to see what all these different organizations have done but the Arkansas Natural Dreamers didn't have a blueprint, they were creating it. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, I, th I forgot what year it was, but when that raid happened at, at Panaderia Ayalas, I believe, and people's parents got, got taken away, I forgot if it was by ICE or by what it was, we didn't know what to do. And, uh, and I was thinking about that right now. And uh, do you have a clearer picture of, of, of what that looked like? Because I know I remember things like off and on, but I don't really remember exactly besides what I experienced of what happened that day. Yeah, that that morning, I, I got a call from somebody that morning telling me that there was something happening in in downtown Springdale over by, by the post office. They said, oh, somebody called and said that they were dropping off something at the mail mm -hmm. there across the street from, from where it used to be. And that they had seen a lot of police and they had seen a lot of... Um, uh, ICE officers mm. that had come into the place, told customers to get out, and then they had uh, detained all the employees. And <clears throat> of course, when you do community organizing, and this is the work that you do, when you hear that, you immediately you want to do everything, right? Yeah. But there was a, there was still a lot of things that we had never even done. You know, Fernando and I that morning. We went up to the police station and we asked about the people that had been detained if they had them there. And I remember the one of the officers' responses was, "Would why do you want to know? Would you like to join them?" Mm. Um, so, so being being faced with that, with all those uh, with all those things, you know, trying to figure out what we were going to tell kids at school. Um, you know, you and I believe you and my sister went back to the school and yeah. we're trying to find the kids at the school and trying to figure we out. We kind of dispersed. You know, I, th I forgot if we met somewhere before, but I, I remember I, I, that I, I, like I, I, me and your sister went to the went to the school and then you and, and Fernando yeah. went somewhere well, back, else. Back, back then we had the support of the um, Northwest Arkansas Workers Justice Center oh, yeah, that yeah. was just up the street. And they, they provided us a space for us to meet and to kind of be our home base to... Mm reach out to people and to, you know, if any families wanted to meet there and, and talk to us or, or anything that, you know, the space was provided. And I think that's where we met and we kind of decided, you go do this, you go do this, mm -hmm. this is what we need to contact. And, and I believe that's how we handled the situation, which is, 
you know, rookie moves compared to what, you know, you all are doing now and, and, yeah. and how, how well prepared you all are because um, I think, you know, had we had a better blueprint, maybe we would have been able to do something a little different. But And I think now there's more acceptance. So I think that's why it's easier for us to organize. Back then, I remember us showing up to uh, events of Democratic senators. I think Blanche Lincoln, I think we interrupted an event that she did once, right? And oh my God, the faces that we got, you know, from Democrats was crazy. You know, nowadays it's like, yeah, you'll still get those faces once in a while, but they're now more accepting and they're not, they're, they donate to causes and stuff like that. But back then it was like, you were more of a problem than you were like someone that was struggling through something. Right. Oh yeah. And, and, and I think even, even, even to this day, when you, when you really push it and you push the issue, uh, I think you still make a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, I don't think they are completely settled into us being part of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's something that I struggle with because it's, the party that is somewhat sympathetic to us, but yet mm-hmm. won't allow us to really, you know, push them on a lot of those things. Uh, yeah. I still remember whenever we were lobbying Mark Pryor, uh, many times being told, you know, don't heckle him, don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't be aggressive because he, he may vote for the Dream Act, and we definitely don't want to spook him. And then just for him to vote no on December tenth of twenty ten yeah. was kind of disheartening. I was like, really, we, we babied, you know, Senator Mark Pryor for no reason. Yeah, I think I remember, like, one time, it was at a, I think it was an event held by the Democrats in Little Rock, and I went up to, to Mark Pryor, and I thanked him for voting for the DREAM Act, which is the second time. I guess the first time he voted no, right? And then the second time he voted yes. Uh, but then whenever I went up to him and I said thank you, he was like, ha, 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 he's like, man, I got a bunch of crap for doing that, but I did it. He did it in a very, he said it in a very kind of weird way, condescending way, where he wasn't even looking at me when he was talking to me, and I was like, man... Like, whatever. I said thanks. You know, he did it. He yeah. voted for it. And I said thanks. And I think yeah. he lost his next election. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the type of acceptance that we have, right? We, we're we're allowed at the table as long as we stay quiet type of thing. And, and, and I don't think that's full-on acceptance. And I think the party needs to work on that a little bit. I agree. I agree. I think Manny's doing good work in the party. Right, Manny? I, well, I don't know about that. It's funny that <laughs> you, you are I, doing good work, Manny. I, it's Come funny on. that you mentioned Blanche Lincoln because I remember at, at a dinner, one, she, she was heard saying that she was uh the aoc of her time oh i remember that yeah uh just you know very radical For very who? radical <laughs> well i mean i don't know i can't i guess i can't really say yes or no since i didn't follow her too much to be honest yeah um back well, then but well it'd be it she would probably seem radical right now compared to no okay so well, we'll give her her credit where credit's due, but still, we still heckled her back yeah. in the day. <laughs> we still did that. Um, so kind of activism aside, Juan, um, I want to talk about, you know, the history of your family here. You said you got here, it was in 96? Is that 97. 97? And uh, you all had your own business, um, and many people might remember it was Little Johnny's. Was it was it called Little Johnny's, or was it Little Johnny's? Uh, uh, yeah, it was Little Johnny's, yeah. It was and it's... Little Johnny's. Look, if for people that that maybe need some sort of like indicator, it was right next to. Uh, well, it's now. What's it called now? It's Charlie's. Now, it's now little. Uh, yeah, it's now just Charlie. Charlie's Charlie's yeah, yeah. Shout yeah. out to Ever and Charlie there. Yeah. 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 Shout out to them and shout out to their brother Alex. Um, I remember, you know, we would go eat. The food was really good, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I remember that was the spot. You know, people would go eat and then just hang out outside. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were y'all there? Uh, we were there. See, we went, we had a food truck that we started out of in downtown Springdale when it was frowned upon. Mm. Um, and we were well, it's still kind of frowned upon in a way. Yeah, but uh, definitely not like it used to. Not be. like it used to be. I mean, we we had somebody unofficially come by and tell us that it made people uncomfortable to see so many of us hanging out Bro. outside uh, at a food truck, and so that's why we had to move inside to a brick and mortar. Mm. Um, but we were there for for a few years, and um, I think it was till. 2007, early 2008, that we uh, that we passed it on, sold it to to Ever and Charlie. But yeah, it was it was it was family business, and it was something that taught me a lot about hard work because I I, I had no idea that a restaurant took that much to yeah. to run and to make it run efficiently the way that we did. Was your family working in the restaurant? Yeah, yeah. They so were? a lot of the recipes were from my mom. Mm. Um, she she made a lot of the food, made a lot of the recipes. 
But your mom uh, is like one of the nicest ladies ever. Yeah. Every time I see her, she's so super nice, always asking like how my wife is doing, how I'm doing and stuff. She's so cool. Yeah, yeah, she always does. Your dad's me. super cool too. Yeah. You know, you, you would think your dad would be into intimidating because he's like a big guy, right? But he's the he's nicest big, guy. He's, teddy bear, man. he's the nicest guy ever. Like I remember I, whenever we would go to the meetings and stuff, I kind of just like uh, leave away from you all and just go hang out with yeah. your dad in the kitchen. And he was just like yeah. the nicest. My dad, my dad is like the biggest athletic teddy bear you'll ever meet. Sometimes <laughs> the guys and I would be out there shooting hoops, and my dad would come home in like jeans and his work boots and you know a shirt and like all his gear mm-hmm. on him. And he'd still play basketball with us like one on three, one on four, and still mm. pretty much whoop us. So that dude is is an athletic guy for as big as he is. I've never seen him play a sport. Really? Man. He's good? Yeah, yeah. Race him one day if you ever see him. Hey, I'm scared, man. I'm scared. He's, he's a good... He's, that, dude, that dude is fast. I haven't seen him in a long time, but yeah. I do. I need to see him soon because he's, he's really cool and he's, yeah. he's so easy to talk to and yeah, he's just... Sure. Like you said, like the whole like teddy bear thing, yeah. definitely, yeah. definitely. If you would see him, you'd probably be like, oh, he's not that, right? But then when you just kind of sit yeah. down and talk to him, yeah. he's like so cool. Yeah. No, and you know, and he, they're, they're, they're the ones that kind of Whenever I was little, they would always tell me, like, don't ever say that you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Don't ever say that you that this is impossible for you. Like, don't allow those words to live in your in your vocabulary. You know, you can do it. And so um, whenever I started getting involved in the activism and, and, and doing things like that, they were very adamant about, if you're going to do this, you need to do it full steam. Like, mm-hmm. don't, don't hold back. Don't, you know, and after I came out as undocumented and they got over the, the shock of it, I think they also felt a little liberated that um, we didn't have to hide anymore because mm-hmm. we were already out in the open. So <clears throat> um, they, they they love this town. They love Northwest Arkansas. We've lived in Kansas and Oklahoma as a family, and we came back to Arkansas. So uh, Northwest Arkansas has, has been home for us, and I think uh, all of us in my family really just love Springdale mm-hmm. um, because that's where we came back to. Yeah. And so... Uh, it, it's 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 a part of of our of our lives, and my mom calls it my adopted my adopt adoptive home. Mm-hmm. Whenever I come back from anywhere, well, I mean, um, you've been here most of your life, right? Yeah, I've uh, been here. Yeah, ninety seven, thirty two now, so about twenty five, twenty four years. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And you, I did kind of want to touch back on on you know the story of of your experience at the University of Arkansas when you were first there. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think, if I remember correctly, I forgot if you were already organizing when that happened, when when you got that call mm-hmm. um, that you kind of always kind of bring up whenever you tell your story. Right. No, I, 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 I wasn't doing organizing work yet. Uh, I was actually um, looking at how I could affect some change um, because I was facing some, some obstacles with... Uh, you know, not having a driver's license and not being able to work, things that I wanted to do to get the experience under my belt because as a business major, I wanted to get experience, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere. And so <clears throat> for for me, I remember that I was sitting on, on the couch at Octavio's apartment and I had heard of other people getting calls from the U of A telling them like, hey, we don't have a social security for you. If you don't have a social, we're going to have to start charging you out of state tuition if you can't provide it within like 60 days or something. And how are you supposed to make money when you're when you can't work? Yeah, it's just a vicious cycle. Um, they, uh, I knew that they had been calling people, and they, uh, I got a call from a number, and it was it was a number that I recognized was from U of A. I was like, this is probably this is probably it. Maybe if I don't answer, they yeah. don't tell me <laughs> yeah, the news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I won't know. No, and so I I, I answered a uh, really nice lady. You know, she was just like, hey, you know, this is the U of A treasurer's office. We're calling to ask about. Uh, no, I think it was a registrar that called, and you know she said we're we're looking into this, and we don't see that you have a social. We're gonna have to start charging out of state tuition. Um, there may be some assistance for you uh, in different ways, but uh, we're not gonna be able to give you in state tuition anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was like, okay, well, thank you. I mean, that, what do you say to a call like that? You know, I I appreciate you giving me these great news. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's just. We laugh at it now, but yeah. back then that sh- that was it, it, it was very serious, and 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 uh, I hang up the phone, and Octavio's like, "What what happened?" I was like, yeah, "I'm gonna I'm I'm undocumented, so I have to start paying out state tuition." Oh, so you have to come out then? Yeah, I, I had to come out to my buddy because he didn't know, and he was like, "What you're you're undocumented?" I was like, "Yeah." I'm like, "No way!" I was like, "Yeah." I was like, you don't have papers? No, I don't have papers. That's what that means. 
And, um, yeah, from then it was just, you know, I always had all their support. Cesar, Fernando, Octavio, everybody was was always 100% on board. You know, and there's many others that I'm not naming, but I think I think the network of, of, of friends that was at the U of A at that time, uh, Rafa Arciga, mm-hmm. um, Alejandro Aviles. Uh, Genaro? They, they, they were all... Uh, Genaro... I forgot his last name, but I remember him. The U of A during that time. Okay, yeah, probably Genaro Reza, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 so. Genaro. Uh, from Chihuahua, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, it was like a really strong network that we supported each other. You know, other students at the U of A started feeling um, encouraged to come out and participate and get involved. And I remember being... Uh, we actually held our first Dream Act event at the U of A shortly after this was happening. And I remember that uh, another buddy, Ulises uh, Morales, who at the time had like a, a DJ business, he mm-hmm. let us borrow the sound system for like our first event and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So shout out to Uli for also being... And he also serves in the military, doesn't he? Yeah, he... Uh, he uh, I, I don't believe he is anymore, but he did serve in our military. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he's, he's always, he was always somebody that I could count on to let us use, you know, equipment and stuff like that. So... It was it was really neat how just everything came together. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, everybody saw the need, and and I think that's what encouraged me even more. That it wasn't, I had pushback, but I had embrace embrace. I was embraced by others like me and people that were my age, that maybe weren't in the same boat that I was, but they were willing to grab a bucket and start you know, pulling water out of my boat. Um, so it was it was it was something that uh, that was really neat, and and to now see the. Uh, the work that that people continue to do and and how involved the youth is now uh, is is something that is just, it warms my heart to see to see that and I believe in our youth I believe that uh, all of our leaders that uh, will one day make decisions for us in the future I believe they're you know they're in high school right now how and do you how do you personally not become like the person with experience who uh, shoots down ideas of, of young leaders today. Right. How do you, like, do you think about that? And if so, like, what actions do you take to not become that person? Because I know that we've all kind of had people in our lives who are always trying to make us seem like because we're young, we're not making the right decisions. How do you, how do you uh, yeah. work on that? It's a big, it's a big uh, step back that you have to take uh, because, you know, it's, it's your baby and you want to you nourish it, you want to grow it, you want to continue to guide it. But eventually, you, you have to step back. Um, you, you have to take a, a vaccine and allow new voices, new youth to step in and, 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 and lead. Uh, I mean, look how long it took me to get to, for you to get me on the podcast. I just, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a person that has that has taken a step back and just listened and watched and tried to learn where I can and ask questions. And I think that sitting on the side of the table that I was back then. I think has has given me the experience to not make others feel like that. You know, other young people, I know what it's like to sit across from the desk, somebody that's older, and, you know, be giving them ideas about what to do, and they're like, that's not going to work. And yeah. now you shouldn't do that. And, you know, well, they'll never answer the phone or, you know, don't even try going there because they'll, they won't even let you through the door. So I think... Dude, isn't it crazy how, like... Now it's normalized to do protests, to do rallies and all that. Mm. But back then, man, when we would show up to a politician's office or an event, like, we were seen, like... Yeah, they thought you were terrorists. Like, we, like practically terrorists. Yeah. Like, like, specifically, I mean, there's a lot of nice white people out there, right? But back then, like, the people that are nice now, like, they weren't as receptive. A lot of them weren't as receptive. Like, we were, like, made to feel like we were uh, horrible people or yeah. just dangerous people for just protesting or bringing up an important issue isn't that crazy how yeah. when you look when you look back then and then like now it's complete opposite yeah. i think yeah but you know i think it was also fun you know because i i i, I guess i always took a, a little bit of a pleasure in watching some politicians squirm a little bit whenever mm-hmm. we were there uh, because you could tell that immediately as soon as we walked in and we all had our shirts on and we had posters and things like that you could tell that you know they had a they had somebody with a campaign like immediately come to us and be like, Hey, you know, we'll get you some time afterwards. Just don't do anything right now. Keep quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that always happened. And, and, and now it's, you know, I, I love that. It's a common practice to show up in protest. And, and now if you, like if you were to show up to like a Democrats, politi- a Democrat politicians event, it wouldn't be like the handler coming to talk to you. 
they're kind of they're kind of forced to allow you to just kind of show your power and show your presence and ask questions right because it's like they don't want to look back because there's now a huge community of people that are supportive so if they do something to to like either try to silence you or kick you out like it's gonna be a big deal with social media you know isn't that i I just find that really fascinating yeah how things how times have changed it's one of those things where they definitely don't want that bad publicity you know it's it's something that they it works in our favor yeah because we we've we've earned our spot at the table and now they need to listen to us because we're we're here. We're part of the community. We're 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 uh, I guess here bra- to stay. I, well, yeah, I mean, we're braided in. I mean, we're we're, we're yeah. knit into what mm-hmm. the what the quilt of this community is, especially Springdale. Yeah. Um, and and uh, my my buddies always hear me brag on Springdale just because I I think it's just the coolest city in NWA. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. We agree. Um, yeah. Springdale is <laughs> just you know is just home, and so. I, I think that we've earned our seat at the table. Um, you know, we're starting to see changes uh, structurally within, you know, city council, and, and, and you have more bilingual people working at, at city hall, which facilitates a lot of things. Um, but I think we still have a long way to go. And 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 I, I th- and I think being able, going back to your original question, I think for people to take a step back and allow new voices to flourish and new mm-hmm. voices to be the ones out there in the streets I think that is going to be how we bring about the change that we actually need because if uh, I, I always felt that whenever as a as as a young organizer I would show up to an event and they saw my fresh face they I had all of their attention um, and first thing they ask you are you registered to vote are you, <laughs> do you want to run for office in Springdale yeah and so yeah and so it, it was it was one of those things and so I, I think that you know eventually you have to take a step back and and it's been it was hard for me in the beginning um, after seeing you know you all, you're kind of like the go-to person for yeah, like yeah. all like mostly all undocumented issues you were the go-to person mm-hmm. for that yeah and, and you know it was just the network that I had been able to establish uh, throughout and 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 I was happy to bring that to anybody because I remember what it was like going to people and asking them, hey, do you know this person? Yeah. Mm. Can you put me in touch with him? I don't think so. Mm. You know, and so having having those types of doors shut in my face, yeah. I think allowed me to not ever make somebody experience that. Yeah. Um, because I think they made it so difficult for our group to flourish. And we were told, you know, don't stir the pot. You're only creating uh, you know, <laughs> trouble for us. And then we're going to have to fix it later. Yeah. But, I mean, look at where we're at now. And so I, I would say for any young organizers out there, step up. Don't be afraid. And, uh, and, and, you know, be out there in the streets. Make some noise. And I think one of the coolest things, you know, about you, Juan, specifically, is I've worked with a lot of people, right, throughout the years that I've been organizing and stuff. And, you know, folks sometimes do let their ego get the best of them. Mm-hmm. And at times they don't want to teach you. I remember, like, I was suppressed in so many ways when I was when I was starting organizing. People didn't want me to do TV interviews. People didn't want me to speak at events because I wasn't experienced enough, right? But you always did a really good job. Where under your leadership, I never felt like like you didn't want me to to speak out or for me to have any kind of publicity or 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 for for me to be highlighted for my work, right? And I think you always did a really good job of making sure that you were kind of growing new leaders instead of just trying to be a gatekeeper. Right. Um, so I commend you for that just because I use that a lot in, in my in my like organizing today. Like, you know, if I, cause I get a lot of messages from media that they'll say like, hey, can you do an interview on this? And it's not like, yeah, I'll do it. It's more like, who can I think of yep. that either hasn't had an opportunity or has a powerful story or just, cause opportunities create like, when someone has an opportunity to be in front of a camera, like that helps them out so much, you know? So in the future, whenever they have an event or they get asked to speak somewhere, they have experience and they feel confident. Mm-hmm. You know, back then there wasn't a lot of people that were doing that. Everybody wanted the attention. Everybody everybody wanted to be seen as the go-to person, mm-hmm. but you always, you know, remained that person that was wanting to provide opportunities for everybody. So yeah. I, I super appreciate that. Oh, thank you. And, and, and I think it was just, you know, putting, putting words to practice, right? That I felt, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that job for the rest of my life. You know, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that work for the rest of my life. And I knew that the leadership needed to uh, be sustainable. You know, they needed to be renewed leadership every so often so that the, so that the movement wouldn't, wouldn't 
wouldn't die off and, and the momentum wouldn't die off. And, and so seeing it evolve and seeing mm-hmm. different faces lead it and seeing different spaces, different faces speak. Um, and, and, you know, at the time, that, that's, that's how I saw you. I saw you as the younger person than me that would one day be able to, to lead for, for its time. And so I, I, I wanted you to be ready whenever it came to that time of me stepping back because I didn't uh, didn't want all of our work, all of our sacrifice, uh, all of our fundraisers that we did all over the place to to be uh, to be in vain. I wanted that that to live on, and and, mm-hmm. and it's and it's lived on not necessarily as the Arkansas Natural Dreamers, but it's lived on through impacts that we've had in people's mm-hmm. lives. You know, the, the the changes, the different organizations that have been born out of us existing, and so for for that, I mean, it's it's really a a humbling experience that I had doing this community work. Dude, and, and now, you know, with the active group, Equipo Defensa del Inmigrante, uh, known to, like, the English-speaking community only as Equipo to make it easier for mm-hmm. them, uh, there's a lot of folks that are 18, 19, 20. Well, they were 18 or 17 when they started. Now they're, like, 20, 21. And they're so ahead of, ahead of us. They're so ahead of where I was back then. Mm-hmm. You know, and it all comes from being around people who have experience that are able to uh, not be gatekeepers and you know provide give like give that information back down to folks that are younger so that whenever they're our age they're already more prepared than we were you yeah. know and I think that's super important and it's super uh, exciting to see younger people uh, be more ready than we were when they were when we were their age yeah right exactly. and it's just gonna continue to evolve like the next time they're gonna pass the information to someone that's 16 or 15 and kids are in high school right now I think a lot of those kids are 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 finishing up school and it won't be long before we start seeing really young candidates running for local offices yeah. mm-hmm. and and trying to get in there to have a seat at the table because youth leadership I think yeah. is, is where a lot of the a lot of the answers are and and if and if we continue to vote for people that are entrenched in their ways of old Springdale and old Northwest Arkansas and this is just the way we've always done things I think that it's it's going to be a more difficult process for them than it needs to be. But mm-hmm. I think if, if we have if we have youth in there that can explain things, that can um, you know paint a picture for them as to what their vision is for this area, it's nothing bad. It's just mm-hmm. it's different, and that's and it has to be because Springdale looks nothing demographically what it looked like when I moved yeah. here in '97. I mean, it's completely different. And you know, you have the the Marshallese community here that only makes us richer for mm-hmm. having them here, mm-hmm. and so. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of youth leadership there too that they 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 can capitalize on and and and, and as minorities, I think we can bring a lot of change to to Springdale and, and with everything that's happening here, mm-hmm. I I have a uh, have a really good feeling about good things to come for Springdale. Definitely, and and now you know, kind of going back to the whole activism, everything that you've been doing, uh, DACA passed mm-hmm. in 2012. And that pretty much changed your life, right? Just like it did for thousands of, of undocumented immigrants and in the United States just in general, because now you were able to get a driver's license, you were able to uh, get a job, I guess, would it say legally, I guess, and, uh, and other stuff. Um, you were able to buy a house. Mm-hmm. That was so cool, you know, to see that you were able to buy a house with Rocio, your wife. Um, and right now, I mean, we still haven't passed immigration reform we still haven't uh we st- people still have daca but it's still re- like renewing you renewing every two or three years so there isn't yet a cemented uh pathway to citizenship um how do you feel about you know just in general i guess the victory of daca and how that changed your life and to where we're at now so the the, the victory with daca was was something that changed yes it changed my life it also gave my parents a lot of peace because my parents said, you know, as long as you're okay and you can thrive and you can you can start doing a lot of the things that we wanted you to do when we came here, we're okay. Like we've 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 learned to live this way for many years. But that's still hard, right? Because because then you're just like, okay, I'm good. But like my parents, that? though, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and just the selflessness, right? Of as long as you're okay, we'll, we're fine. We've learned to live this way. Like we can we can manage. Um, and, and, and it breaks my heart for them, you know. Because right, they have made... right, right now that we that we hear conversations of, of what what the government is planning to do, and 
I have the inkling that immigration reform may not be what we see. It may just be like a like a normal or a, a DACA plus, you know, for us. Yeah. And that's all we'll see. They're looking at me possibly getting a fix, but not them. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but I... It's crazy how much your life changes with, you know, uh, what is it, a nine-digit number for your social? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you get a driver's license and you're no longer afraid to be pulled over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's amazing how, how, how easy it changes uh, to just have a driver's license. If you get hit, you no longer start thinking like, what am I going to do? I'm going to get my car taken away. I was actually ticketed like right before I, I applied for DACA mm. in Johnson for not having a headlight. Oh, Johnson. Yeah, and I remember the judge. Was, <laughs> Johnson? The, yeah. Johnson's got a better reputation nowadays, but back yeah, then, man. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and and I remember I, I went to court with Judge Kate. I um, remember that. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. And I was... Didn't, just, like, I not get in trouble for recording? I don't know. I think she got in trouble by the people. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you noticed because you were in there. Yeah. But I think she got called into a room because she was trying to record your mm-hmm. uh, your court. Yeah, because you know the he was putting people in jail for ten, twelve days for no driver's license, and mm. um, and the people were being picked up by ICE, and so it was um, it was something that I felt wasn't fair. Yeah. Because some of these people were just dropping off kids at school. They were coming back home from the grocery store. And they get pulled over for, for something minor. Yeah. Uh, which in other cases, you just probably be let off with a warning. Mm-hmm. But here you are with a, now a ticket, your car towed, and now you got to show up for court where you're going to get sentenced to jail and then probably be picked up by ICE while sitting in jail. Mm-hmm. And so I, I felt like it wasn't fair. And, 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 you know, I had people reach out that they were like, you know, we can, we can take care of this on the backside. Uh, and, and, and try to figure something out to where you don't go to jail. Yeah. Um, you know, we can get you a lawyer. A lawyer can try to work something out. And I was like, why should I have the privilege uh, of not going to jail because I have connections? Mm. I, I, that's not fair. Most of the people in my community don't have these connections to get out of, to get out of jail or to get out of paying a ticket. I have to face this. Like, I, I want to face uh, Ernest Kate. I want to be in court, and I want to argue my case that this is unfair. Um, you know, and, and it was, there's no argument to trying to throw somebody in jail for not having their driver's license. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's not something that should be, that should be done, you know, and, and, and to have the argument from that side be made for, to me, that instead of driving without a driver's license, I should be using public transportation in Springdale, um, <laughs> I think is, is a joke. Um, and, and to think that that would be a suggestion for a mother of three or four in Springdale picking up their kids yeah. from school to use public transportation to do all that, mm. uh, I think is, is, is uh, in kind words, we'll say it's not ideal. Yeah. Man, I remember. I remember that. I was there because you, you had your friends show up to your court. Oh, I, showed, I filled up the courtroom. In I remember that. I remember. I filled it up. I was, I was, I was like, you, you want to make a show? Let's make a show. Yeah. And that was like the first experience that I ever had, like yeah. showing up to a courtroom yeah. just in general. Mm-hmm. And it was in Johnson. I know back then they had a reputation for stopping people for absolutely Nothing. no reason. I think they even had a lawsuit uh, for for that. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, things now have obviously changed. Things are better, but we still want like an immigration reform, not only for for uh, ourselves, but for like our parents and stuff. And I say our parents because I see I see myself as like you know part of the just the immigrant overall population. I was always very privileged, right? You know my my dad came here through my grandpa who was a bracero, so he came here as like a resident. Mom came here undocumented, but she was able to because of the amnesty of the Reagan amnesty, she became a resident right away. So we never really had that struggle, right? But something in life happened that like uh, if you believe in the higher power, you believe in God. My best yeah. friends were all undocumented, and that's kind of how I got into this mix and, and, and realized that I was living a really privileged life to be able to get a driver's license and apply to FAFSA, mm-hmm. you know, which undocumented people don't, aren't yeah. able to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, thankfully, people like you that have, that were the first ones to kind of just break ground in organizing, I think, I personally feel has something to do with 
where we're at now, you know, with Representative uh, Godfrey being able to pass, you know, a legislation that allows uh, nurses that are undocumented, well, well, people that want to pursue a nurse career to be able to be licensed under DACA and then, you know, the, the in-state tuition bill. So I think, I think it roots from that. I think there is a pathway, you know, showing from you're advocating to where we're at now, um, creating opportunities for other people that necessarily were not organizers or haven't organized, but because of your work from the beginning and the work of the ones that, of the folks that have been working alongside you, created this change. I feel like there is some sort of pathway directly from your work. So once again, I'm just really thankful for you, for the work that, you, that you've done and, the, and, and just the, the platform that you've allowed other uh, individuals to become leaders, uh, you know, rooting from, from your ideas and, and just everything you've done. So yeah. thank you. Thank you, Irvin. And, and you know, you, you say that you include yourself in the, you know, the immigrant cohort. Um, you know, Alvia Zlatior told me one day that, uh, you know, in the Marshallese community, they see each other as, as, as a one big family. You know, everybody is everybody's kids and everybody's everybody's parents. And, you know, that's, that's, that's how they see each other. And I, and I think that as a community, when we begin to see other kids that may be suffering as our own kids, mm. and if those kids see other parents as their own parents that may be suffering and struggling, I think once people come to a mindset like that, we can be a community to be reckoned with when it comes to our strength and our and our determination and our work ethic. I mean, our, I think the immigrant work ethic is, is unparalleled um, in this country. And, and to be a part of it and to be in an area where we're about to show what that's about, mm -hmm. uh, I think is, is, is a great front row seat to have right now. I agree. I agree. And just to end this episode, Juan, any advice that you give to anybody that's young that wants to get involved uh, in general, but maybe doesn't feel like they contribute anything um, or that there's someone that people can see as a leader. Um, what advice would you give to those people listening today? Ne never, never put yourself down thinking that you have nothing to offer or you have, you have, you don't have anything good to say. Um, a lot of times some of our best ideas came out of people just speaking in their mind and it was people that normally didn't speak up. Um, so if, if you're if you're that person in, in in one of the one of these groups or in any group for any matter with any topic if you feel like you know you don't bring much to the table speak up you'll be surprised how well received you'll be with with your ideas just because um, a lot of times you may have the answer that others are looking for and if you're afraid to speak up then you know we, we may not find the, the answer to, to the problem we're facing so uh, speak up be confident and, and just uh, always make sure to uh, check your privilege to the door when, uh, when speaking it. Hey, hey. And that's the end of our episode, episode 94. Thank you, Juan, for joining us this week. And uh, hopefully we continue working together in the community in the near future. Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to be back anytime. Uh, good to talk to you, too, uh, to you, Amanda. Sounds good. That's the end of the episode for this week. Catch us next week, same time, 6 p.m., 99.9 FM Hotline, an episode available online as well. You can go to either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, we'll be there and uh, definitely share this episode. See you all next week.